OCO and greetings. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and this is Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. Today I will be talking to a very, very special friend and brother. His name is Peter Brooks. We'll be back shortly. Don't go away. Great and eternal mystery of life, creator of all things, I give thanks for the beauty you put in every single one of your creations. I am grateful that you did not fail in making every stone, plant, creature, and human being a perfect and whole part of the sacred hoop. I am grateful that you have allowed me to see the strength and beauty of all my relations. My humble request is that all of the children of the earth will learn to see the same perfection in themselves. May none of your human children doubt or question your wisdom, grace, and sense of wholeness in giving all of creation a right to be a living extension of your perfect love. It was 1988, the AIDS epidemic at its peak. When asked in a debate who he considered American heroes, Vice President Bush praised a young research doctor, Anthony Fauci. I think a Dr. Fauci, he's a very fine research, top doctor at National Institute of Health, working hard doing something about research on this disease of AIDS. He's an American hero, a kid from Brooklyn who grew up over his family's pharmacy. At five foot seven, 
He was captain of his high school basketball team, a natural leader. Under six presidents, he's quietly worked to keep America safe. In a time when truth is under assault, he's always been straight with us. So I can say we will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now. While President Trump lied. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle, it will disappear. Now Donald Trump is attacking Dr. Fauci. Why? Because Trump failed America. So he does what he always does, attack and blame. No, I don't take responsibility at all because... So who do you trust? Donald, the dope? Then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute. Or the doctor. To protect our families, on November 3rd, we can make Donald Trump disappear. It's not a miracle. It's democracy. Welcome back to Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf. My guest today is Peter Brooks. He is an educator, a dancer, a singer, and marketing professional, currently living in Baltimore, and he has a very interesting ancestry and history. And I'll be back in a moment to introduce our guest to you for today, Mr. Peter Brooks. Welcome back. Peter, I want to welcome you to the Indigenous Peoples Media, Reality Media, better, better known as the Nightwolf Show. I read a very little bit about you in the beginning, but can you give us a short bio about yourself? Sure. Um, but before I begin, I just want to say that I am so honored to be here with you, Jay Winter Nightwolf. I have known your name for a long time, and for a long time I have looked up to you as a great man and a man of honor. And so I am very, very honored to be in your presence, and I thank you for this opportunity. Um, yes, as you know, uh, as you may know, my grandfather was a very famous uh, performer, Mr. Cab Calloway, and his, my grandmother was Zelma Proctor. Um, Mr. Calloway says his family was always from Baltimore, and of course the Proctors, as you know, Piscataway, Canoy, mm -hmm. Maine, and then my father's people from North Carolina, Cabarrus County, the Brookses. Right. And so um, uh, I do what I can to help people. Right now I am making uh, guided meditations and children's telling stories, doing songs and stuff for children. Uh, to help people through this dark time. I also speak on the Harlem Renaissance, which my grandfather participated in, and my grand-aunt Blanche, mm -hmm. and uh, and try to, to, to let people know how this event can really be relevant in today's, uh, you know, climactic and, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. catastrophe, really, catastrophic, catastrophic environment that we've created for our children. And so, um, you know, it's really kind of a, a lesson on survival, how my people have survived uh, everything from genocide to slavery to emancipation and on, on up into this century. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, anything else before we continue? Say again? I said anything else before we continue? 
Oh, um, no, no. <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel so honored that you feel that way about me, and uh, I'm honored to have this opportunity to talk to you, to get some things out in the open air where sometimes it's necessary that we put things out there in the universe in in order to find answers to what we're looking for. So you've suggested that your guiding star is to use your skill sets to help heal humanity. And you're a Blendian, and you therefore have blended culture. You support a matriarchal society, and your ancestors were integral in music and in the Harlem Renaissance. And let me tell you this. Even though uh, Cab Calloway lived in the era that he lived in, I was always impressed by the Heidi Heidi Ho man. So... Mm. (laughs) So tell us your, 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 as a matter of fact, your Aunt Blanche, uh, is she still with us? No, no. She passed long ago, 77. 77. Okay. So tell us first about your mother's ancestry and how that has influenced you. How, how my grandparents influenced me. Your mother, your mother's ancestry, right? Yes, my mother's ancestry. Well, you know... It's unfortunate that my great-great-grandfather, Sam Proctor, he doesn't appear on the rolls. And he, you know, part of the agenda, in addition to genocide, was forced assimilation. And some people did assimilate. He became a caterer and stayed in the area, the Washington-Baltimore area, throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... My grandfather, it was really interesting. My grandfather and grandmother were going to Frederick Douglass High School in Baltimore. And for some reason, the family would leave them alone together when they were just teenagers. And Cap Calloway, from very early on, was kind of a slick dude. I mean, he was not the type of guy I would leave a 14 or 15-year-old girl with Zelma Proctor. Mm-hmm. But they did, and the result was my mom, Kame Proctor. And um, I just feel that of all of the people that must have been at Frederick Douglass at that time, that they probably stood out, you know, because of their fair complexion and stuff. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that really struck me was at my grandfather's funeral, and they said, these famous people would say, we didn't know what Cab Calloway was, Mm -hmm. but he said he was one of us. And that made it all right. And so that's what I feel. I feel that, you know, some people, you know, Cab Calloway, it didn't matter what race he was. And he certainly, you know, he filled in as black because he had no choice. He never tried to pass his white. He had plenty of opportunities to ride in the front of the train or to join the country club or whatever. I mean, I saw some of that. And he, he, always turned it down, you know, because he mm-hmm. identified himself as a black man. Um, and when I started, you know, this started coming up inside of my heart, you know, the Red Road and the music and the prayers and the people and the history, you know, I had to find out who I was and, and what we were doing here. How did we get here? And so I remember at first he was very angry at me when I asked him about our Native American heritage because he could never, you know, he was at that point in his career where something like that could 
derail him. You know what I mean? He had plenty of secrets of, of children and stuff like that that he didn't want anyone to know about. And so at first he was very angry. He said, no, you know, just tell people we're black. And I did. And I, you know, went along. But as he got older, he said, yeah, we do have Native American heritage. I just can't, you know, I can't let people think that I'm turning my back on these people who have helped me so much, you know, to be who I am. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very complicated. But of course, you could look at him and tell, you know, with the straight hair and stuff that he was not fully African-American. Yeah. And he does have a lot of Native American features and his style of singing. And, you know, the one thing that he and Blanche really introduced into the music was call and response, which is, you know, an indigenous thing. You know, Mm -hmm. they introduced a certain casualness to the music, because if you look at Blanche's contemporaries, who were people like Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith, they all sang from within the band. They never ventured out into the audience. And that mm-hmm. was Blanche's innovation. And she would do jokes and stuff and, and talk to the band while she was singing. They would have this kind of call and response. And so this sort of casualness then was one of the things that really stuck and became a, a, a signature of rock and roll. And if you look back at the history of European singing, you know, it's mostly opera and it's very formal. Um, except for cabaret, which was more for the working people. And that had a lot of that casualness to it as well. And so um, I think we were, we were introducing these innovations. We were a people who had to fit in. We always fit in. It was our strategy from, you know, Sam Proctor to his parents who he, they put him up for adoption in 1830. Um, the Proctors, so I don't know anything beyond Sam Proctor. And, uh, I, I, and and that was sort of my strategy, was to fit in, try to get along, you know, to go along and, and that kind of thing. Um, but all the time, you know, this was burning inside of me. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. There are a lot of bad things that happen and, um, and a lot of bad decisions, like turning our back on the tribe or what have you, whatever we must have done. But I wasn't there for them. And I think it's incumbent upon all people to to find their indigenous roots, whether they are from Scotland or Italy or uh, Wisconsin, and honor that. You know, it's yeah. not a question of, yeah, you know, adopting something that you're not. Just be who you are and you'll know it. Because it feels right, well, and you, that's basically what happened to me. You know, I have one one thing to say to that. My grandfather would would always say, "There it is." <laughs> you know. Um, now, your grandfather, a big band era band yeah. leader, dancer, vocalist, who rose to prominence performing at Harlem's legendary Cotton Club in the nineteen thirties and forties. Cab Calloway and his orchestra moved into the Cotton Club in 1931 as a replacement for Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Pure Fay's mom, uh, Nanisa Lunn, was a classically trained opera singer who toured with Duke Ellington and his Sacred Concert Series? Did you know that? Pure Fay. Yeah. Pure Fay. Her mother, Nanisa Lunn. Wow. Yeah. No, I did not know that. 
Yeah, I've been. I've I known. did not know that, but, but I could see why she is so beautiful. Man, phenomenal. Anyone woman. would want her in their band. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal vocalist. Well, phenomenal. You know, Pura Faye and I have known each other now for about 26, 27 years, and um, I've interviewed her on several occasions, and and we become very, very close friends. So when I talk to her, I'm going to tell her about uh, this interview. She remembers I'm... me. Yeah, okay. I used to hang out with her when the Indian Center in New York was on Broadway, and I was I always had the worst <laughs> crush on her. I was just a young man, and I just thought she was the most incredible thing I think, I'd ever seen. So I, I, think, I embarrassed myself, I'm sure. That's okay, but I think half the world had a crush on her. You know? <laughs> so, um, so true. We're going to take a break and go to one of your grandfather's songs and uh, mm-hmm. play it and come back and talk some more about your family and your grandfather and, and everybody that, that, that's a, that was involved with what he did. I'm Jay with oh. Tonight Wolf, and this is the Indigenous People's Reality Media. So don't go away. We'll be right back. My guest today is my new brother, Peter Brooks. Don't go away. Banana, Anna, try the salami, Tommy. Give it the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate, too. Here's cacciatore, Dory. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. I fix your favorite dishes. Hoping this good food fills ya. Work my hands to the bone in the kitchen alone. You better eat if it kills ya. Pass me a pancake, man, drink. Having a derby, Irvy. Look in the Fendel, Mendel. Everybody eats when they come to my house. When they come to my house Pasta fazula, tolula Oh, do have a bagel, bagel Now don't be so bashful, Nashville Everybody eats when they come to my house Hey, this is a party, Marty Yeah, you get the cherry, Jerry Now look, don't be so picky, Mickey Cause everybody eats when they come to my house all of my friends are welcome. Don't make me coax you, mooks you. Eat the tables, the chairs, the napkins, who cares? You gotta eat if it chokes you. Oh, do have a knish, knishya? Pass him the latke, matke. Chili con carne for Bonnie. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Face, buster, share. Chops, fun. Everybody eats when they come to my house. And that was Cab Calloway, uh, the grandfather of my guest today, Peter Brooks. 
Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your granddaddy was something else, man. <laughs> you could say that again. He really, really was very, very professional. I mean, I feel like I haven't done a good job of preserving his legacy. And part of the reason is because he was so matter-of-fact about it all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he just did it. You know, he just, yeah. And all of his music is, is like this. It's meant to make people smile. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. It's children's music, really. Um, and a lot of it is the opposite. You know what I mean? There's some... It's tricky. He he he's one of the first to try to make fun of the dominant culture while being a part of it. I mean, like he released a song in 1932 called "Reefer Man." Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. so <laughs> so people didn't know what they were singing about, but we knew, and yeah. that's what was kind of funny about it. Um, <laughs> and eventually, they caught on, and he got in a lot of trouble, you know, with J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, and. It, it associated him with all jazz music, but you know, he's really at the crossroads and, and this is the, the native American truth that is dangerous is the fact that it was through him that Dizzy Gillespie got his first professional start and Dizzy Gillespie left the band to create bebop music, yeah. which is, you know, improvisation of melodies through instruments. And Cab was doing improvisation of singing and the lyrics through his voice. So Cab continued and really was the foundation for popular music. He's associated with the first times when people are starting to lose control while listening to the music. His style is very different from people like Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra. Um, he's much more in the audience and putting on a big time charismatic show. And so that was what later became rock and roll. In fact, he released a song in 1942 called I Want to Rock. Um, and so these two branches that, that emerged in, in American culture, both rock and roll music or popular music and bebop and later cool jazz really kind of emanate from him um, and from his band and, and what he was doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, Part of and, the reason he was so successful was he always paid his musicians on time. And that's what, what people really respected. Yeah, he did better than James Brown. But that's another conversation. But uh, <laughs> Cab, Cab was actually the first uh, African-American, or should we say black American Indian musician to sell, mm -hmm. to sell a, million, a, million, a million records from a single song to have a nationally syndicated radio show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, he starred in, in, in some motion pictures like Stormy Weather in 1943. Um, he had a role in Porgy and Bess in 1953, the Cincinnati kid in 65, hello Dolly in 1967. Uh, his career saw renewed interest in the 1980s when he appeared in the Blues Brothers. What, right. what a man. What a man was he. Now, I can remember as a kid growing up in Washington, D.C., my mm -hmm. dad was actually one of the forerunners of, uh, he was a singer of the Ink Spots. 
And wow. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Small yeah. world. Mm-hmm. And um, he used to play uh, Cab Calloway. It was on 78 RPM album records. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, Cab Calloway, Billy Holiday. I mean, you just mm-hmm. name it. My father had all of that in his collection. So talking to you is just bringing me back to some, some fond yeah. memories that I had of being a young man. And these guys, your father and my grandfather, they proved the insignificance of race because no matter what they were, people accepted them and Mm -hmm. they didn't care and they couldn't really put their finger on it. But it's just what it was. And so, yeah. And and Bob Barker as well. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. No one would ever believe he was born on the Rosebud. But it's true. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So look. And I think, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. Well, I just, I, you know, I, I, I respect your show and your listeners. And I just wanted to give a shout out. If anyone is listening, when we were talking about Purifé, you know, we as Native men, we love our women. And there is a crisis right now in our community mm-hmm. with our women being disappeared and i just want to tell anyone who is listening to this if there's anything that you can do to help us out with that we really really appreciate it keep an eye on our sisters for us an extra eye if you can don't touch them but look out for them um yeah because it's very very serious you 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 mentioned um that the city of baltimore caused you are serious to seriously re-examine your history. Was that because of twenty-two sixteen Druid Hill Avenue? And I've been by, <laughs> I've, I've been past that house a lot. And yeah. and 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 what what had to witness? You had to witness on September the fifth in Baltimore. Please tell us about that because that was a damn shame. It was. Um, you know, when we look at the way. They've done all the great neighborhoods in America, places like Georgetown, uh, Berkeley, California, uh, Long Island, you know, Mm -hmm. Manhattan even. They don't tear stuff down, you know, Mm -hmm. Knob Hill in Boston. They they preserve things because there's character in it. And the fact that you could have actually seen where Cab Calloway came from to go from there all the way to two of his greatest fans were Jean Cocteau and uh, Jean Renoir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he had supper with them in France when he performed. Uh, it's just extraordinary. And I felt it could have been such an inspiration for all of the young people growing up in that neighborhood because you drive to that neighborhood and your heart just sinks. Oh, and yeah. what they, what you see there. And so this, I thought, was a way out, an avenue that they could point to, and people could be proud of that, because you see how the Europeans do this with all of their cities, like Mozart's house and Elvis mm-hmm. Presley's mm-hmm. house and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and they could have offered it up for anyone to bid on or l- allow me to try to, to sell it that way. But they absolutely refused. And, you know, the money had already been spent or whatever, but yeah, it was terrible for them to to tear down that house, and and it just it takes another it's another loss for the family, for the legacy, but also for the Harlem Renaissance, 
which um, people are forgetting, and it shows on the streets. And, you know, Keb offers a totally different approach to this war on drugs, which is really a war on our people. Exactly. But mm-hmm. for him to, to, to try to humanize it and to make fun of it and to, to tell stories about it, you know, this is the first time people didn't sing songs about life in the ghetto before Cab Calloway. Um, and so it just, it's just a tremendous loss. And, and, a, and, it, and it's still you know, a great opportunity for the city of Baltimore were it to salute its past. And I argued, you know, the great law of peace. Mm-hmm. I felt that the great law of peace, like the Allegheny Mountains and the Chesapeake Bay, yep. is a part of our natural inheritance as Americans. And you know this law. It's very simple. It says, you do not decide for yourself or your family, but for those seven generations from you. That's and right. I felt that all humans give something to their children, something that their children can, can use as a platform. And so as a result of that crisis, I just started to commit myself to leaving something in his name that honors him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's, that's where I am right now with okay. the guided meditations and, the, me- and the stories. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever play in that house as a kid? Do I ever play? No, did you ever play in that house as a child? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's... No, it, no, not 2016. I'm sorry. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, no, no, 2016. Okay, so here's the story behind that house. When in 1921, they moved there in 1915. In 1921... Okay. Blanche ran away, and she left that house to join U.B. Blake's Shuffle Along, which was also a really important musical. Mm -hmm. That musical virtually shut the door on blackface and minstrel shows coming from Broadway um, because people had to respect U.B. Blake and Noble Sissel and what they had done. That's right. So she became a she became a part of that musical. And then Cab and she and Cab were living in that house for six years. They were in the shadow of Pennsylvania Avenue, which was the entertainment district. Mm -hmm. That's where they were learning the entertainment industry. And then two years later, uh, Cab left that house and the family moved across town because they were so concerned that he was becoming kind of a thug. You know, mm-hmm. he had, uh, he was, he was working four jobs. He was working at Timlico as a stable boy. He was working as an elevator operator. He was selling newspapers and he was shooting crap and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they tried to get him out of that neighborhood. And, uh, and that's the, the story behind it. So he lived there, you know, from the time he was about um, let's see, eight years old until 15 mm-hmm. or so. And so what I had seen was that all the people he sang about, Minnie the Moocher, the Reefer Man, Smokey Joe, he probably met them in that neighborhood. Right. You know, I even think some of the dances that he introduced, like the jitterbug and stuff, kind yeah. of uh-huh. come from, from that area. That's right. That's I think right. Heidi Ho comes from the uh, A-Rabbit. Exactly. You know so, what I mean? The guys scream up and down the street. So, yeah. yeah. So listen, what I want to do now, I want to, I want to play a little bit 
of uh, the hardy, hardy hoe man. So don't go away. We'll be back. We've got to talk some more. And, yes, we need to do, do a show in the future with some of our friends. Yes. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and this is in the uh, Indigenous People's Reality Radio. Don't go away. I have to be in Holland, I have to be in Gay Paris, yes siree, yes siree, oh the hearty ho man that's me, hearty, 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 Again, that was Cab Galloway, the <laughs> grandfather of my guest, Peter Brooks, your grandfather. What an indigenous yeah. man. And, you know, those guys back then, man, they they could dress. You know, I can remember as a yeah. little, little boy when um, my uncles would get off of work and uh, go home and you know, took their showers, got clean, and threw some cologne all over themselves and got into their double-pleated gabardine slacks and uh, silk socks mm-hmm. and dress shirts and dress su- uh, dress sh- shoes. And they would all come over to my father's house and sit around and play cards and talk trash for the next three or four hours. But yep. as a little boy, I always admired them and said, when I grow up, I want to be just like them, <laughs> you know, because they were sharp. They... You know, I mean, let's face it, black folks and Indians have had it so damn hard in this country since since uh, any of us can remember when. But they mm-hmm. always found a way to laugh and smile and have fun. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what this world and especially these uh, urban city communities are missing. You know, they're so busy trying to take from each other and carjack people and all of that stupid mess. Instead of being thankful for still being here on the planet 
and looking back oh. and looking back at you know who their parents were, the grandparents were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the word mm-hmm. honor. I I I messed it up. I'm nervous being on the air, but it's the honor. It's the honor that I have for you that I'm going to dress my best when I come into your presence, <laughs> into your home. Okay. You know, it's the honor. It's the honor that we have for our past and our grandfathers and grandmothers and all the young people listening now, you know, mm-hmm. that is where your your legacy and those are where your spiritual gifts are, is in honoring your past, no matter who they are or what they've done. You were not there, but you can learn from these things and you can not make the same mistakes that they made. And of course, as we all have benefited from the actions of our grandfathers before us, they, you know, all of us have benefited from them. They they, made, they're responsible for our being here. They they made enough mistakes for us not to ever make any mistakes anymore. Yeah, but paved, I just want people to... They paved the go. way. They paved the way, yes. and, and here you are standing upright, but are you standing upright righteously in defense right. of your people? Okay, uh, that and, was that was my and, spill. I'm off the pulpit. Go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I think all these guys out here, you know, like myself, Native American, Indian blood, the best thing we can do is learn the language, speak the language, keep the language relevant, talk to each other in the language, pray in the language, mm-hmm. you know, preserve our language because that's our strength. That's our culture. That's our heritage. And so I also want to send out a message of inspiration to young people. Adopt a language, a native language, and learn it and form a community around it. And you will be stronger because, you again, you will know things that they don't know. You'll be able to speak in ciphers that they won't understand. And use that opportunity to build trust amongst yourselves. You know, because those are the traditional ways. You know this, Jay Winter Nightwolf. Our people would never fight one another if we spoke the same language. That's right. Never. That's right. Because when you lose your language, you, you lose, usually, you lose your traditional culture. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's now, right. And look what they've passed down to us, the four directions, which tells us who we are and where we have to go, you know. These are the, the good things about being here in America. Things Absolutely. like this, this spirituality. Get your money, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, let me hit you with another question. Tell us about how you use lessons from the Harlem Renaissance as keys to live, yes. living your life. Yes. Well, what I try to give people are the five keys to the Renaissance. And the first is to honor your past because, you know, the Harlem Renaissance started, I, I'd say, in 1920 when Marcus Garvey called the Universal Negro Improvement Association together at the Madison Square Garden and brought 35,000 people. And he was representing millions of people. I mean, the largest Pan-African organization ever, ever. has yet to be eclipsed. Mm-hmm. People in Panama, South America, Central America, Africa, and the United States. And so when they came together for that, and that, again, you know, Marcus Garvey is responsible for two indigenous religions 
here in this hemisphere. He is responsible for the nation of Islam because Elijah Muhammad was a Garveyite, and so was Malcolm X's family. Mm-hmm. And he is responsible for Rastafarianism. Exactly. You know, Marcus and, and Marcus Garvey was was in my exact vein that I'm talking about. Go back to your past when he told the African people that your history does not start with slavery. Your history actually starts in Africa. That's when the Renaissance occurred because everyone had that aha moment, and that's mm-hmm. you know. Even though they were working on that before, it was Garvey who kind of got the word out so that people could understand it. But all of the poetry of Langston Hughes, all of the work of Duke Ellington, the Ink Spots, who are part of the Harlem Renaissance, yes. you know, my grandfather, it was all about the honor. You know, it was all to bring honor to our people. And um, all the sculptors and the artists and the, the, the literature, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, mm-hmm. and they were all working together. And it wasn't working. None of those guys got rich, really. You know, even Louis Armstrong, they were all living up to their means, and they were all working really hard for Cab until he couldn't walk anymore. He continued to perform. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they were doing it for each other. They were always helping each other. I remember even late in his life, Count Basie couldn't finish a cruise. Mm-hmm. You know Cab Calloway at about 78, 80 years old, got on an airplane, got on a helicopter, and finished the cruise for Count Basie so he could get yes. paid. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's, that's the kind of commitment to each other that we need and that the young people listening to this need to know about and continue because that's the tradition that's going to ensure our survival. That's true. You know, not this other thing. Yeah, and you know what else? Not this you, other. you know something else? You were right. They did not get rich, but they got enriched. No. They got enriched. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with their because culture the and, and their history. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were like the class A act of people. You know, you never saw when I was, I, I keep referring back to when I was a little boy. My mom was from, mm-hmm. from South Carolina and she was a Cherokee. But she had 28 sisters. There were 28 sisters and brothers. And when they started, wow. yeah, man, yeah, you know, you know, grandma, grandma never got a rest. But anyway, <laughs> when they, when they, they started migrating up here to the cities in the north, I would see my aunt Etta, my aunt, um, my aunt Etta, my aunt Daisy, and my aunt Bessie, and all of them, when they would come up here in the summertime, they always dressed in these nice cotton dresses mm-hmm. and they would get up in the morning and spray their dresses with a mist of water and and because they had already starched them and I hung them out on lines they were always dressed to the T mm-hmm. and the men had creases in their pants and shine shoes and handkerchiefs in their pockets you know what the hell ever happened to that you know <laughs> I, 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 I know what I know what happened to that you know somebody got lazy yeah, and and they felt like, you know, hey, all these people are getting rich except us. And so even if we do this, we're still not going to be equal to them. Mm-hmm. So they felt like, well, forget them. I'm just going to do my own thing. And if they find it ugly, then I think that's good, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and this all became, you know, about them. And, you know, I am, uh, uh, representing the Chaptico Band of Piscataway Indians on the Maryland American Indian Commission. And I want everyone to know that because if there's something that they want that the state can, you know, I'm, I'm here to listen and to do what I can. And, uh, I mean, I think one of the things we got to get a statue of Turkey Tayak in Annapolis. Yeah. Um, another project which I'm working on, I think we need to have a poster of the legends of the Chesapeake area. You know, yes. who are the Native Americans that everyone needs to know? Mm-hmm. Kitta McClunt, Jay Winter Nightwolf, um, Mervyn Savoy, mm-hmm. um, and just so many others. And I, I, I want to put together this list and make something that they can have for all the schools. Um, and I, I think, you know, we just have to continue to, to honor our past, our legacy, and bring it to the future for people. I think the other thing that I talk about in terms of the Harlem Renaissance is, is the honor of women. As you said, yes. my tribe, matriarchal, historically. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't begin events until the oldest woman around said it was okay. That's right. You know, that was the esteem and the honor that we had for our women. And in the lecture, I introduced people to Fanny Jackson Coppin, who was probably one of the first, well, she definitely was one of the first African-Americans to get a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the way she lived her life is was the Harlem Renaissance 20 years before the Harlem Renaissance ever happened. She went back to Africa where she served. She spent her life teaching people how to teach. She came back to the United States in her final you know, years and wrote her memoirs to, to pass on for future generations. And I think that is such an honorable thing. And it, it shows how women are always so far ahead of us, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we have to place them in a position of esteem and honor. I would love to see Annapolis or someone sponsor an auntie's lunch like they did on Capitol Hill. Right. Our women, bring our women together, all the women who want to work together and let them set the agenda for us. You know, you know, something. Uh, you, know some, you know, something, Peter. Before yeah. before the European invaded us, the women were always in charge. And the, yes. on, and the only reason we ended up with men for tribal heads or chiefs was because that white boy would not talk to a woman in charge mm-hmm. when he came over here. So what did the women do? Mm-hmm. They elected men. But they told him something when they, we're going to put you in this position, but you better represent the people. If not, we will snatch you out of office quicker than we put you in there. And mm-hmm. we need to get back to that, 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 you know, people call it that old. It's not old timey. It's just the way things are. No man can give birth to a child, but a woman is the, is the bearer of life. I'm Jay Winston-Nightwolf, and this is in the... Uh, Indigenous People's Reality Radio. Don't go away. We have it totally under control. One person coming in from China is going to be just fine. We have it very well under control. My administration will take all necessary steps to safeguard our citizens from this threat. A lot of people think that goes away in April. I think it's going to work out fine. We have it very much under control. We're very close to a vaccine. Because of all we've done, the risk to the American people remains very low. 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero. One day 
day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And this is their new hoax. Unfortunately, one person passed away overnight. You take a, a solid flu vaccine, you don't think that would have an impact or much of an impact on corona? Anybody that needs a test gets a test. It will go away. Just stay calm. I don't take responsibility at all. It's something that we have uh, tremendous control over. Well, we're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. I hope we can do this by Easter. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering. So it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. Just minutes after a Fox News report on the demonstrations, the president began and tweeting, liberate Minnesota, liberate Michigan, and liberate Virginia. And I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out. Is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside? Or This is going to go away. This is going to go away without a vaccine. We have met the moment and we have prevailed. Many of these people aren't very sick, but they still go down as a case. The virus is uh, abating, dying out. The Chinese virus, Kung Flu, I have done a phenomenal job with it. The reason we have more cases than other countries is because our testing is so much. Kung flu. I think that at some point uh, that's going to sort of just disappear. We are likewise getting under control. We show cases. 99% of which are totally harmless. We want to get our schools open. I didn't listen to my experts. We have therapies and we have vaccines. You're losing a lot of lives by keeping things closed. So we're at about 135,000 and we'll be at somewhat higher than that by the time it, it ends. It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Welcome back to... Indigenous Peoples Reality Media. I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf. My guest today is Peter Brooks. And the other thing, Peter, I heard you talk about these projects that you're working on. Count me in. I'm in with you on it. Okay? Brother, I appreciate that so much. You do me so much honor with your presence and all of your work. And I'm telling you, I have worked with some of your staff members here at the podcast, and they are very very professional. I mean, I can see why you are so great, and it is because of the people who are around you. And so that is another lesson for the young people listening. You know, watch the people you associate with. Try to stay with people who are better than you, and then you will end up being better than all because of your humility. And that was the key of our chief, you know. Mm -hmm. Our chief was always the most humble, the most giving you know, person. And they also didn't want to deal with that. You know, they would rather talk with someone much more macho, like Red Cloud or something, mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, than the actual chief who was a, a, a quiet, unassuming person and often wouldn't even talk to you. And was actually the poorest person in the tribe because gave, they gave everything they had yeah. to, make, to make sure that others would eat or others would have something yeah. warm to sleep on or a blanket around them. Yeah. Uh, so and to keep the peace absolutely the people. Yeah. absolutely so peter um let me ask you this what else would you like our audience to know about you and to remember well thank you very much jay i tell stories online too um i'm putting them on youtube and facebook and they're really profound stories I'll tell you a, a really quick one, um, the story of, of the spider. You know, the spider got really angry with the human beings and put all the wisdom in a jar. And his son saw him doing this and 
when the spider went way into the woods and came to a tree and he tried to climb it and he just couldn't climb it. He kept falling down mm-hmm. all day and the sun watched him. And finally, the sun says at the end of the day, Father, if you want to climb the tree, just put the jar on your back and then you can climb very easily. And the father looks to his son and says, I had all the wisdom in the world in this pot, but yet you have wisdom. That means I do not have all the wisdom in the world. Therefore, he broke the pot. And from that time forward, wisdom has been free for all the people. And that's what we have to remember. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from. You can still be a wise person. I tell little stories like that to help people. I also do guided meditations. It was all I could think to do when people are facing horrible situations, anxiety, fear, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't have a degree. And it's just a 10-minute thing. And it reminds me so much of the sweat because you know this, that in the sweat, each man has about 10 minutes to say, you, know, you can stay for hours and talk if you want as a man when it's your turn. But each man takes about 10 minutes to say his prayers. And so this is about a 10 minute prayer for the people listening that their troubles and, and worries and stuff be lifted from them. I mean, my grandfather was much more clever. In the song you played, The Heidi Ho Man, he knows his people are singing that song. And that's why he's saying, you know, I'm so great. Look at me. You know, he's trying to build him up while yeah. he's building himself up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that smart. I, I, I have to do things kind of directly. And so, um, and I mean, times have changed too so much, but, but, but that's, that's what I do for people. And I hope that it works for them. I've, I've known some people that it has worked for and, uh, and it's, it's just all I can give. Um, okay. okay. And, and my children too, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, I but, would, I would be so honored to, after this pandemic, um, calms down, uh, sometime in maybe December, I would like for you to come and sit in my sweat with us. Uh, I oh, was, wow. it was a chief Arvel looking horse of the Lakota Indians. And, uh, medicine man, um, Grandpa Crow Dog, that I think it was like 18 years ago, they heard me on the radio, and they said, um, one of my friends, Frank King, who was from the Rosebud Reservation, who's a, a journalist, was actually being named as one of the new Lakota Peace Chiefs. Chiefs. Mm. And my name came up in the conversation, and and Arvel Looking Horse looked over at Frank. He said, you know, do you know Night Wolf? He said, yeah, every time I go to D.C., I stay at his house and eat his food. He said, well, I want you to take the authority for him to have the sweat lodge on his property. And it's, it's been there ever since. But because the elders, the elders out west, they stopped the Sundance and the sweat lodge, and I have to honor and respect that, but I think it's going to open back up sometime in December. And when that happens, I'm going to call you and say, look, get over here, because I want you to sit in this sweat with me. <laughs> and for the listening audience, the people who don't know what this means, this is a great, great honor for me. You know, a sweat lodge cannot hold everyone, and so only a few men get to walk in there. And from the time he has said this now, 
every step I take from that time, from now in September when we're recording this, or October until uh, December, I have to think of the prayers that I will say in there because that is a very special time. I will be like I've crawled into my mother, my mother again, Mm -hmm. and I can speak with my, my family, my relatives that are sitting there with me and issue my prayers and the prayers for all the people. Absolutely. I'm going to leave you with these words. Okay. As we close this interview, it's not about the pigmentation of my skin or the color of my eyes. It's not about the the texture of my hair. It's not about the clothes I wear. It's not about my traditions and my culture. It's not about who I pray to, that deity that I call God. Do you want to know what it's really all about? It's how you treat my heart. So until the the next time I talk to you, Danada Goa'i Wado. Thank you, Peter. to live in peace with the Indian, he can live in peace. There need be no trouble. Treat all men alike. Give them all the same law. Give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers, free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself.